Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. We hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. So one summer, our family spent a weekend at the Jersey Shore. When our kids were little, we loved taking them to Ocean City, New Jersey. I think it's the nicest beach on the East Coast. Ocean City is a gem, except the only way you get there is on the Garden State Parkway, which is not a gem. (laughs) It is a traffic jam, and it's always a challenge to navigate. So Colleen and I piled the kids into the car. We hit the parkway. And for once, I'm actually going the speed limit because I got the wife and kids in the car. And I'm cruising along in the left lane, minding my own business. When suddenly, this black Camaro swerves out of nowhere, roars right up behind me. I look in my rear view, and it's this 20-something kid with a nose ring, and he's blasting Metallica out of his (laughs) T-tops. And he guys right on my tail. And he starts flicking his headlights, flicka, 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 because he wants to pass. But traffic's tight. I couldn't move, so I, I just keep going a steady 65. Anyway, the Camaro kid then starts hitting his horn, and Colleen sees me, and my jaw is clenching, and she's like, Tim, take it easy. He's like, honk, honk, honk. She's like, take it easy. Honk, 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 and my blood's boiling. She's like, let him pass. So I did the Christian thing because I'm a pastor. I prayed for him to blow his tires out. (laughs) The bottom line is traffic in the lane next to us opens up a little bit. So the Camaro kid kind of swings out and then he revs his engine just to let me know how upset he is. And he speeds right next to us. And as he passes, he screams out his window. He says, get the F out of the fast lane, you bleepity bleep. And then shoots us the official state of New Jersey one finger salute and roars off down the road. And I just look in my rear view and see my kids staring at me wondering, what's daddy going to (laughs) do? Have you ever been sinned against? Like someone does something completely uncalled for? They're not only rude, maybe they're dangerous. I mean, the Camaro kid wasn't just breaking the law. He wasn't just offending my family. He's putting other people in danger. Let me tell you, in that moment, you crave justice which is actually something I love about the Garden State Parkway because there is justice. It's called Jersey justice. About 15 minutes later, we're getting off an exit to a rest stop and and I'm in the right-hand lane and it's this very tight off-ramp to the gas station. Traffic's still tight, very steady. And I look in my rear view and guess who I see? It's the Camaro kid, only now he's behind me. We had an easy pass, so he must have got caught at a toll or something. And now he's desperately flashing his blinker, trying to go it over to the exit lane that we're in. And he must have been low on gas because he's like, he's trying to cross three lanes and, and merge, and the window's like closing with every 10 feet. And so he makes one lane, then two lanes, and then just, just enjoy this moment. He's literally in the lane right next to me, flicking his blinker and going like this, can I squeeze in? Can I just maybe just squeeze in? Now freeze it right there. You pray for moments like this, don't you? Like, this is where you politely say, sorry, bro. (laughs) What goes around comes around. Karma's a beach. (laughs) That's something I hear people say all the time. You know, what goes around comes around, especially when someone's bad behavior boomerangs back on them. And at that moment, I had a few options, right? 
Three ways I could have responded to the Camaro kid. I could have responded with the law of karma. Everyone say karma. Karma. Karma basically says, hey man, what goes around comes around. It's actually a concept from Eastern religions that says whatever happens to a person is actually because they caused it with their actions. So in karma, wrongdoers get punished, good deeds get rewarded. It appeals to our sense of justice. It's cause and effect. You did something bad, now something bad happens to you. And I had that option with the Camaro kid. I, I could have been like, man, you cut me off, now I cut you off. Payback's a beach, no mercy, no forgiveness, no entry into my exit lane. I, I'll be honest, my flesh was a little like, you can sit on the side of the road for all I care, man. I'll call a state trooper for you. <laughs> Sorry, loser, you get what you deserved. What goes around comes around, that's the law of karma. But I also could have chosen, I suppose, the lane of mercy. Mercy is about extending forgiveness to somebody who offends you, even when it's in your power to punish them, right? Instead, you show mercy. Like as a Christian, as a pastor, I suppose I could have stepped over his rude behavior and been like, all right, come on, wave them in. It's the Christian thing to do, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. I could have slowed down, let them merge, let them get gas. That's mercy, right? See, we all instinctively understand karma. And from time to time, the best of us on our best days respond with mercy. But there's a third option that's neither karma nor mercy. It's a radical third way called grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Grace is the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Grace is not you get what you deserve. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. Grace says you did something wrong. And instead of punishing you, I'm about to bless you and give you something you don't deserve. Forgiveness and love and radical blessing in the wake of your sin. It's this fierce decision. I'm not going to punish my enemies. I'm going to give them what they need. I'm going to bless him with something he can never pay back. Can I ask... Like, have you ever really been sinned against? I don't mean just cut off in traffic. I mean somebody truly wronged you or your family. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody made a public promise to love you for a lifetime, but they didn't follow through. And now there's only hurt feelings with an angry ex. Or maybe you were really wronged at work. Someone took credit for something you did or a coworker slandered you or really, really damaged your reputation. Let's be honest. When we're sinned against, our most natural human instinct is payback. You punish the wrongdoer. That's what karma is. Karma says what goes around comes around. And that's why we like it. It appeals to our sense of justice. I hear this phrase from well-meaning people all the time. If somebody says, ha, you're an idiot, and then they walk straight into the door and they break their nose, we go, ha, see what, what goes around comes around, man. The problem is it's something that Jesus never said. In fact, here's a good rule of thumb I can teach you for this series. If it makes your flesh feel really good, Jesus probably didn't say it. <laughs> That's what we're doing in this series. We're debunking some of the stuff Jesus never said. Jesus never endorsed tit-for-tat payback, eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth. What goes around comes around. Rather, I want you to listen to what the Bible says in the Gospel of John. It says, For the law was given through Moses... But let's read the bold line together, everybody. Here we go. Ready? Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So grace and karma are two totally different things. Karma actually comes from Hudism, uh, Hinduism and Buddhist thought. 
It has a lot to, karmic religions have a lot to commend themselves to because it's the law of cause and effect. If somebody gets punished in this life, it's probably because they did something bad and deserved it. Now, if you get blessed, it's probably because you did something good and earned a reward. That's karma. But the Bible says, no, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what exactly is grace? How many of you know the song Amazing Grace? You've heard it, you've sung it, maybe you're at a funeral, church service. Do you ever stop to ask, like, what exactly makes grace so amazing? Let me show you. I want to flip over a few pages to John chapter 8 and illustrate this for you. Through a very tense exchange Jesus had with some karma keepers in John chapter 8. <clears throat> By the way, before I read this, I know what some of you are wondering. You're like, so Tim, what happened to the guy who flipped you off? Want to squeeze in your lane? What did you choose, Pastor Tim? Karma, mercy, or grace? To be completely honest with you in my uncensored heart, I think I was privately hoping a state trooper would pull him over, you know, and just ring him up for, you know, reckless driving or road rage, just, just nailed with so many points he couldn't drive till he was 70 years old, you know? That's what I was probably hoping in my heart. How did I respond in reality? I'd like to say that I showed him mercy, and, and Colleen was encouraging me. My wife was telling me, kind of step over it, just let him in, Tim, be nice. And then she goes, she goes you never know, he might attend liquid. <laughs> and my kids are watching from the backseat, so I was like, all right. So I start to slow down and make room for him. And before I can wave him in, this giant ShopRite tractor trailer comes barreling out of nowhere, rides right up on the Camaro kid and hits his air horn. Wah, wah! And the Camaro kid is so startled, he swerves back into the express lane and it was true Jersey justice. Because as the trucker goes ripping by him, he gives the Camaro kid a double barrel salute and screams down from his cod, you mother lover, it was pure Parkway poetry. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you know, come on. You know, do you know how that made me feel as a pastor? Pretty good. <laughs> Which simply reveals my own inability to really grasp grace in all the ways I live that are still broken and in need of God's healing. I want to show you here how Jesus applies grace to a sticky situation in John 8. Verse 3 says this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group everybody's there, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, just pause here, because if you're new to Christianity, when Jesus walked this earth, his ministry attracted two kinds of people. On the one hand, you had the rule keepers. Those were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees loved the law, the Ten Commandments, and they would have loved karma, because they felt like it was their job to call out wrongdoing and mete out justice whenever somebody fell short. Rule keepers, okay? On the other hand, Jesus attracted rule breakers. Like this woman who is caught in the act. She's fooling around with some guy who's not her husband. She's cheating. <laughs> She's messing up her marriage. And the truth is, that's a direct violation of the law. Commandment number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. So I want you to try and imagine this woman is thrown at the feet of Jesus and there's everybody else's around and, and she's caught red-handed by the religious police. And she's kind of sitting here and her eyes are downcast. She's full of shame. She's sitting in the dirt. <clears throat> by the way, I understand our world is a long way from this, right? Today, sex outside of marriage, that's common. It's celebrated in the media. 
First century Jewish culture, hello, problems. See, to be publicly exposed as a cheater wasn't just shameful, it was grounds for karma. Instant payback. And the Pharisees jump right on it. They said in verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Translations, time for a little Jewish justice. <laughs> what goes around comes around, right, Jesus? What do you say? Do you agree? And let me tell you something. On one level, Pharisees are right. See, under the Old Testament law, this woman's sin was punishable by death, death by stoning. But it's only half the story. What's fascinating here is if you do a little digging, like I did my research this week, the Pharisees were referencing a law in Deuteronomy chapter 22, and I want you to read it to you. It says this, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. In other words, it takes two to tango, right? The law actually required punishment for both the man and the woman, but the Pharisees leave that little part out. They, they know their Bible, but they're patriarchal, so they're very selective, and they focus on the powerless woman. And it's funny, right? It says they caught her in the act. In other words, they clearly saw both her and him together, but they let the guy go and focus on her. So understand, they're not really interested in upholding the moral law here. They're after something else. Verse 6 says this. They were using this question as a what? As a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. See, Jesus was a threat to the religious system of rules and punishments that the Pharisees worked so hard to enforce. I, I'm kind of curious right now. Like, Would you describe yourself as more of a rule breaker or more of a rule keeper? Can I see the rule breakers raise their hands? Okay, just real quick. Thank you for your honesty. Some of you are like, I'm not following along, man. I'm a rule breaker. I'm, I'm not going to go with you. <laughs> How about rule ke keepers, right? Okay, raise your right hand if you're a rule keeper. If you're a rule keeper, you actually love karma in some level, right? This whole idea of what goes around comes around. Because you're like, how else would the world operate? Bad behavior has to get punished. Good behavior has to get rewarded, right? If you cheat on your taxes, you're supposed to pay a fine. If you say something offensive on social, you're supposed to get canceled. And you just wished everybody was smart enough to obey the rules like you. And this is the trick, you understand? Church people love this. If you can spotlight somebody else's really broken behavior, it helps highlight your own righteous living. Look at us, right? We're not sexually broken like this hoe. We are holy. We obey God's law. And see, that's a toxic attitude of moral superiority that I'm sure you've brushed up against. You ever spent time around religious folks? In fact, maybe that's what kept you away from church. You've been judged or you've been shamed before, and you're like, no thanks. But see, that's what the scandalous nature is of true Christianity. It's what makes religious people uncomfortable in how Jesus responds. And this is brilliant. Look at verse 7. It says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. You ever wonder, like, what was Jesus scribbling in the sand? Like, he, like he's down here and he's, he's kind of drawing something. Everybody's watching. The woman's there in the dirt. He's over here drawing. 
Some scholars speculate that Jesus stooped down and started writing out a list of all the Pharisees' sins in alphabetical order. Right? Others say maybe he was writing out the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, thou shalt not commit adultery. Got it. How about this one? Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not murder. Whatever he wrote had an impact because verse 9 says, At this, those who heard began to slink away one at a time. The older ones first, very interesting, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So instead of this unexpected twist, instead of punishing the rule breaker, Jesus sets his crosshairs on the rule keepers. Instead of paying back the sinner, he condemns the saints. He says, I'm turning the tables on you, Pharisees. You haven't been caught in the act like her. Good for you. How about your heart where people can't see? You got any lust in there? You guys want to apply the law? Okay, let's do it. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery right here. See, I'm the son of God and I haven't come to abolish the law. I am here to fulfill it perfectly. External actions, inner motivations, perfectly integrated. Does that describe you? So, Mr. Judger, if you want to expose her, I'm going to expose you and show how badly you need grace too. <laughs> Are you beginning to see why self-righteous religious people wanted Jesus dead? <laughs> Jesus had amazing grace for people whose lives were morally messed up and broken on the floor. But <laughs> he had a battering ram of truth for toxic religious people. The teachers of the law who said, we're not like the rest of the sinners, but we're blind to their own pride and judgmentalism in their heart. I mean, gosh, with justice redefined this way by Jesus, who is going to throw the first stone? Verse 9 says, you see that? At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Scholars say, because they probably had a longer list of sins than the younger ones. They lived a longer time, more sin. <laughs> Until only Jesus is left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I imagine she can't even look at him. He says, look at me. Has no one condemned you? And she says, no, no one, sir. Now watch carefully. First comes grace, then the truth. Then neither... Do I condemn you? Jesus declared. That's grace. Go now and leave your life of what? Sin. That's truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it's scandalous. It makes no sense. The sinless son of God puts his arm around the shoulder of a sinner, like someone who's betrayed her marriage vows, disobeyed God, made a mockery of her life. What kind of message is this going to send, Jesus? The Pharisees accused Jesus of being soft on sin. He's a friend of sinners. I wonder, do we embrace broken people the same way in this church? Like in the middle of their moral mess? <laughs> well, if we truly say we followed Jesus' example of grace, we should. See, most people, especially those who are now religion or avoid church, there's a popular lie that says, God will accept me after I clean up my act. That's karmic thinking. What goes around 
comes around. You get what your actions deserve. But grace says the exact opposite. It's giving people precisely what they don't deserve. A scandalous, wet kiss from God when they need it the most. In the midst of their brokenness and shame, you pour out radical love. Now notice something. Jesus tells her the truth, doesn't he? He says, girl, you got to leave your life of sin. This ain't working out for you. But he embraces her with grace. He says, I don't condemn you. He lovingly disarms her accusers and refuses to judge, even though he has the right to. What gives Jesus? Why would you respond like that? Because Jesus knew a secret. Do you know it? Jesus knew the secret that every Christian must know. Karma can teach a lesson, but only grace can change the heart. Grace is amazing because it's given when you least expect it, and instead of getting the judgment you deserved, you are embraced, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are blessed with the favor of God. You get exactly what you don't deserve. Blessing, favor, love, acceptance, even after you've broken God's law and thrown it in his face. See, if we're honest, karma is how we think the world should operate. Good people get rewarded, bad people get punished, but Jesus is hunting for bigger game. He's not after mere external obedience. He's here to change her heart. Karma can teach a lesson, but only grace can change a person's heart. For me, probably the best example of how radical grace is comes from my favorite novel, Les Mis or Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Any Les Mis fans here? You've seen the musical or the movie? Les Mis is the story of Jean Valjean, a French convict who's released from prison, played by Liam Neeson in the best version, I think. And Valjean starts off as this very broken man. He is rejected, he's ashamed, he's shut out by society as an ex-convict, until he's welcomed into the home of a gracious priest who feeds Valjean and actually lets him spend the night. And what happens next is horrifying, because those 19 years of punishment in prison causes Valjean to treat his host in a most ungracious way. Watch with me. Who can that be? Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday, or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You're, you're going to let me inside your house. What crime did you commit? Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. 
I stole what I paid for it, 19 years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what, starve to death? <laughs> 19 years, and now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man. Anybody there? been deeply wronged in life when all you were trying to do is help someone? Like maybe you showed kindness to a neighbor, or you took a, a child who didn't have a parent into your home, or you're taking care of an aging senior citizen, but they're abusive towards you in return? When Valjean strikes the priest and steals his silver, the Pharisees among us shake our head and we say, poor choice, man. Guy like that should have known better than to show kindness to a criminal. But good news, guys. If you know the story, the next day, karma strikes. Valjean is actually picked up by the French police and they bring him back to face the music. And this is the pivot point of Les Mis. Victor Hugo, by the way, was a Catholic novelist. And he wanted to show the difference between law and grace. How law can teach a lesson but only grace can change the heart. So when Valjean is brought back, the priest has a few choices. He can respond with karma. What goes around comes around. Give Valjean what he deserves. Lock this guy away for life. The punishment fits the crime. I suppose he could respond with mercy. If he returns the stolen silver, I won't press charges. Let him go with a slap on the wrist and a promise to do better next time. Clean up your act. 
But instead, the priest responds with amazing, outlandish, radical grace. This radical love and fierce forgiveness that transforms Valjean's heart forever. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Have you forgotten? Did you forget the candlesticks? It's powerful stuff. And it violates our sense of justice. Let, hold on. When you're sinned against, tell me your natural instinct isn't revenge or at least restitution, because that's what karma is. Payback for bad behavior. And the priest could have demanded justice. As a repeat offender, Valjean be locked away for life. He might have shown mercy. Well, you gave back the silver. I won't press charges, please. I'm letting him go out of kindness. Don't let it happen again. In the best of our world, we'll at times show mercy. But no, 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 no. The scandal of Les Mis is that the priest chooses the way of grace. Anybody with two cents rattling in their brain knows you don't let a convict beat you, rob you, and then when he's caught, you not only let him keep the silver, but you give him the candlesticks too? And with words lifted straight out of the gospel, the priest looks Valjean in the eye and says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. I've ransomed you. I have absorbed your punishment. I paid your debt. And you, my friend, are set free. 
You are forgiven. More than that, I am staking you to a new future. The way you've lived, the things you've done no longer define you. With these candlesticks, I'm giving you a, a new identity, calling you dearly beloved. You are chosen, you are called, you're blessed, you're a child of grace. With these candlesticks, I'm setting you free and giving you back to your heavenly father. Folks, I know of no other picture that so powerfully depicts the gospel of grace that Jesus introduced when he came to earth and ransomed you and me from fear and hatred and judgment and sin. Understand, grace is not some wimpified kindness. Oh, just turn the other cheek. It is this daring counter-assault on evil and overcoming evil with radical blessing. Offering the rule breaker an extravagant gift they don't deserve and they can never repay and it transforms their heart. Why are you doing this? Remember, karma can teach a lesson, but only grace can change the heart. Listen to how Romans 5 puts it. I love this. It says this. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. But grace, because God's putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Friends, this is the power of the gospel. Grace is what Jesus gave that woman caught in adultery. Instead of throwing stones, he disarms them with the candlesticks of grace. What he offers that broken woman caught in the act, he says, I, I don't condemn you. Go now. Leave your life of sin. I'm staking you to a new future, a second chance, fully forgiven and glorious free daughter of God. And the only reason Jesus could offer that grace to her and to you and to me is that he, he paid a very, very steep price for this. Grace ain't cheap. See, God's lavish forgiveness and blessing is expensive. Grace is something you don't deserve and you can never afford yourself, but it costs the giver everything, doesn't it? He says, I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. You know what ransom is? Ransom is the price that you pay to set somebody free. The Bible says by nature, you and I are slaves to sin. We deserve God's wrath, his punishment, not his blessing and forgiveness. But instead of leaving us to face justice out of his great love, God says, I am going to pay the debt myself. It's going to cost me something very dear. The life of my very own son, Jesus Christ. You understand that's what the cross is a symbol of? The candlesticks of grace. On the cross, Jesus absorbed our punishment, just like the priest takes the hit. Grace says, I'm going to absorb the payment in your place and then pay your debt and give you freedom instead. Grace says, because of what Jesus did, you're no longer defined by your deepest failure. In Christ, you are a new creation. Instead of punishment, you have a privileged position with God in heaven. When I stand before the judgment seat of God, I pray it's not karma. What goes around comes around. You don't want that. You better pray it's grace, that you get what you don't deserve. Listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. He says, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, instead of being treated like God's enemy, you're called his friend, his son, his daughter. 
through the sacrifice of Christ, you're adopted into God's family. You become a brother or sister of Jesus. You have a seat prepared waiting next to Jesus in God's heavenly family. In order that in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to you through Christ Jesus. See, grace is expensive, man. This, this costs the giver everything. In fact, here's an easy way to remember grace. You know how I remember it? You might want to take a screenshot of this. Grace is literally God's riches at Christ's expense. Think about that. It's God giving you the riches of heaven at the expense of Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, grace. In other words, Jesus got the cross so you could get the candlesticks. What kind of God does that? Only a God of amazing grace. The Greek word for grace is charis, and it means gift. Have you ever had a birthday and or Christmas or something, you're given a gift, and it's just, it's like too much. Someone went overboard. You're like, I, I, I can't take this. I can't. And it's like, no, no, no. Can you imagine if you said, well, how much do I owe you for it? <laughs> It'd be like insulting. You can't pay for it. You can only receive it. That's the precious gift of faith. And Christ is a gift from God. Paul writes. In fact, can we just read these words together, church, out loud? Let's just read this together. Here we go. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this ain't from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Friends, listen. Grace is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Hindus do not have grace. They have karma. What goes around comes around. Muslims have a strict code of law that punishes the infidel. Even peaceful Buddhists, I don't know if you know this, they have an eightfold path where you have to have correct thinking, correct action, mindful living, by which your good deeds achieve union with the divine. But only Christianity dares to make the claim that God's love, his blessing, comes to flawed humans like you, 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 and me, free of charge, no strings attached. Go, Ted, take the candlesticks. It costs you nothing because it costs Jesus everything. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. It doesn't come from you or what you do or you don't do. It's the gift of God, knucklehead, not by works, so that no one can boast. Wow, I just said a really loving verse in a harsh way. Sorry about that. I'm just pumped about this. You, you, you get the scandal of grace? Like, you don't deserve this. You can't earn it. But Jesus says, you can pay it forward. Remember what he says to the woman to end? He says, hey, go now, go, and leave your life of sin. The priest says, Valjean, never forget. You've promised to become a new man. What do you do when you're given a gift from the person you've really hurt? How does your heart respond? Well, for one, you're pretty thankful. But God says, don't you dare try to pay me back. I want you to pay this forward. Jesus says, join my mission of giving grace to the rule breakers in your life. And this is where it gets hard, but I'm going to end by challenging some of you to take this to the next level as a follower of Christ. Last verse, let it be your challenge this week. In Matthew 5, Jesus challenges his followers to not just receive grace. He challenges them to give grace to others. He says, you guys have heard that it was said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? That's the law of Moses. The law came through Moses, right? We all know that. Law of payback. But grace came through me. Here it is. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, I want you to turn to them the other also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, 
Sue them back. Sue them for double. No. Hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In other words, Christ follower, now that you know what it's like to receive God's grace, I want you to give grace to others. Listen, in this life, you and I are going to have plenty of moments where you're offended, yeah? Where somebody hurts you, steps on your toes, wrongs you. And in that moment, as my ransomed child, God says, I don't want you to respond out of your flesh and say, see, what goes around comes around. Don't be a karma keeper. Instead, be a grace giver. I want you to break the cycle of karma with the candlesticks of grace. If someone takes the shirt off your back, give her your coat as well. Think candlesticks. Did you forget these? Wink, wink. If someone forces you to go one mile, let's go two together. Grace always goes the extra mile. Why? Because when you return good for evil, kindness for cursing, blessing for offense, my kingdom advances, Jesus says. This is how this broken, sorry, grace-starved world gets a taste of what the Father's love is really like. So let me ask you, who might God want you to give grace to this week? Is there someone who's hurt you? Wounded you? Offended you? Someone at work? A friend who betrayed you? An ex? And everything in you is crying out for karma for them. But really, God is crying out, will you give them grace? Who might God want you to give grace to and follow in the footsteps of Jesus? I'll be the first to admit, being a grace giver, not a karma keeper, it's, whew, it's a new way of thinking and acting towards people who wrong us. <laughs> I mean, come on, I think back to the Camaro kid <laughs> and think about what grace might have looked like on the Garden State Parkway. I told you about justice, hoping the cops throw the book at him. That's my inner Pharisee talking. I thought about mercy, stepping over the offense, let him in my lane. That would have been nice, but it ain't grace. Like, what would grace actually look like on the Garden State Parkway? Like, honestly, I, I can't even imagine doing this. But grace would be me getting off at the stop and pulling up alongside the Camaro kid at the gas station and getting out of my car and walking straight up to him, yanking the nozzle out of his hand and saying, this one's on me, and filling his tank with gas and paying for it. Can you imagine? <laughs> I told you grace was expensive. What? What? Like you're like, that's crazy. It's New Jersey who does that. What kind of impact would that have on his heart? Might he just wonder, what, what, why, why are you doing this? To which you might reply, let's just say, I've been graced by God. And grace to you, my brother. What kind of conversation might arise out of that. What might that stir in his soul? Friends, this summer I'm praying that we become a church of scandalous grace. That this community of Christ followers would go on the turnpike and the parkway and, and just rattle around your head and be so captured by the beauty and power of grace that we learn to love and forgive and bless the broken in Jesus' name. Say amen if you're with me. Okay, man, can you imagine our church becoming that kind of radical kingdom community of grace givers? to a world that operates on the toxic laws of payback and revenge and cancellation and cosmic karma, dream with me, pray with me. Ask the Holy Spirit this week to freshly show you who might God want you to give grace to. Drop the rocks, give them the candlesticks. Freely you've received, now freely give, amen? 
Let's stand and pray together. All our campuses, let's stand together. And let's hold out our hands, even if you're church online at home, just put your hands out like this. Lord, we stand before you right now, a ragtag collection of rule breakers and rule keepers who both fall short of your love <laughs> and your law. We've been caught red-handed, not just in our external sin, but our inner judgmentalism towards others. And so we got nothing to offer you, God, nothing in our hands, and yet we have hope in our heart because we've heard rumors of your gospel of grace. Could it be true that you love us and will forgive us and cleanse us anew? We need that today. So we hold out your hands to receive your grace afresh. The Bible says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. All you have to do is trust and ask for it. It's not from yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not your works. You can never boast about it. God wants to give it to you. If that's you, you can just pray out loud with me. Jesus, I receive your grace. Say, Jesus, I receive your grace. Thank you. Thank you for loving me, for absorbing my punishment on the cross. Thank you for paying my debt of sin. I give my life back to God. Receive me in your family. Fill me with your spirit. And give me strength to be a grace giver. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said together, amen. Can we welcome new family into the family of God? Praise God for you guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.